Welcome to So Sorry for Your Loss. This is not your average grief group. I'm Gianna DiMedio. Thanks for joining me as we normalize the conversation around grief with the stories of those who've gone through it, a whole lot of humor, and a pinch of celebrity and entertainment news. Because fun fact, they grieve too. There's more to grief than that godforsaken dove flying over a willow tree on a sympathy card. I know you've seen it and know what I mean. Let's change the way society looks at it. Visit ssfylpodcast.com for more. Hello and welcome back. We are well into 2022 by now. How is it going for you? My last couple weeks have been very transformative, I feel. There's a lot of things going on in my life that are like transitional, but for the good. I feel like I'm like right on the cusp of so many good things, but I have to like gut through some shit first before I get there. Oh, yeah, that's my baby on the monitor. (laughs) Yeah, this is her just talking away in her crib. (laughs) Okay, mom life. I'll turn that down for a second as I'm recording. Anyway, I need to like look into horoscopes or something with the moons and all those sorts of things to see what exactly is going on because I feel like there I could I could probably be taking some direction from that. This week's episode though, really great. I'll get to that in a second. I want to tell you a couple other things that are going on in my life. I went to a wedding this week of a really dear friend who I know through my dad is somebody that was one of my dad's best friends. He really stepped up to the plate after my dad passed away. A couple of these friends of my dad's own restaurants. And when my dad first died, these guys brought trays of food and took it over to my grandmother and all of her friends. And at first it was like, oh, let's just do this nice thing. And it turned into be a weekly event. They had so much fun. My grandmother appreciated it so much. She turned out to be like the popular girl in school because everybody wanted to be her friend at the nursing home that she was at so that they could get invited to this fancy lunch with these young guys and just have a great time. I will never forget that. I will never forget the love and the kindness that they showed. And it really has inspired me to be that way with friends and family and a friend of mine that passed away. I've tried to keep a really great relationship with his family because I know how much it means now being on the receiving end of that. So we had this wedding this week. Him and his wife are just beautiful, a beautiful love story. They have a three-year-old who is so darling, walked down the aisle. And a friend grabbed my hand and said, make sure you look at his watch, the groom's watch. And he was wearing my dad's watch at the wedding. It was so special and so nice. And later that night, they played my dad's favorite song. And we all got up and danced and had an emotional time. And it was just really, really nice. So a really great way that I was able to connect with my dad this week. But I, I definitely think I'm feeling some type of way about it. I think I have been a little too on the go and and keep moving and keep doing what I need to do in my life. And I almost like I need to take a beat. I need to take a minute and like sit and process that for a little bit. But it's nice to have those times to feel close to him and to hear the stories from his friends that I, you know, I don't always get to hear just about how he helped them in life or how they miss him so much. It's always really good to hear that about your person. Also, if you're hearing a little nasalness in my voice today, definitely got sick. I uh, started to feel sick like right after the wedding. I don't think it was from the wedding though. I think it was from my daughter being sick and spreading her boogers all over me, but I don't care. I would take them any day. I love her so much. We had her tested for all sorts of things. It's not COVID. It's not whooping cough. It's not any of that. It's just standard. Babies get sick and babies have a cough. And now mommy is sick and mommy is nasal on her podcast. <laughs> 
but she's doing better. She's been sleeping great. Um, currently watching her here snuggle with her, her little bunny in her crib. So cute. Today's episode, I have a very dear family friend, Meredith Hannah's on. She lost her mom four years ago to cancer, has been dealing with grief and a personal side, but is also able to look at things from a clinical perspective as she is a psychology student and in her grad program to become a psychologist. She works with patients. She's working at a practice now. So she has her own clients and working through the psychological processes with them and working through how they can tackle their anxiety and depression has given her a very interesting insight. She will reach out to me when I post some things and is always like, yes, thank you for putting this out there in the public. There's some misconceptions about this, that, and the other thing as it relates to grief. So I thought, wouldn't it be great to have her on to talk about some of these misconceptions or to talk about the clinical psychological processes that she uses to help her own grief and how she can relay that to the audience and maybe things that you you'll be able to use a great conversation today. She's adorable. I think you'll love it. I also want to take a second to remind you, please connect with me on Instagram at so sorry with Gianna. I do post a lot of stuff there. As I was just saying, that's why Meredith and I started talking about doing a podcast. What else do you want to see from me? There's, is there other things that are helpful for you? Other topics that you want me to tackle on the podcast? I'm starting to, to really come up with some new ideas. So DM me there. I'm always open to hear from you at so sorry with Gianna. And just also want to say thank you for all the support. And I love you as always. And this is just such a great ride. I love being connected with you. So without further ado, here we go. Meredith Hannes. Very special person today. Family friend Meredith Hannes in the house is at her own fair share of loss and is diving into it in a clinical sense. She's in school for psychology in her grad program now working clinically with psychology too. And it was you and your sister won best laugh in high school. Listeners get ready because you're going to hear it today. I, I love it. Maybe a little too much. Maybe a little, Maybe too, much. A little too much. If we do it right, you'll hear it a ton. So exactly. Meredith, why don't you get us started and tell us about the the losses in, in your life that have really dug you into this world of grief? Yeah. So I was actually very, very blessed. I didn't have any experience with much grief until I'm losing my mom in 2018. So Which is a significant was, one. Yeah. Yeah. First one. First one was a doozy. So she was diagnosed with cancer when I was 17. So that was, I guess that was 2015. She got diagnosed terminal from diagnosis. Mm -hmm. She had six months at the time and she, we were blessed and lucky enough that she actually lived two years. So that was great. I mean, she was a warrior. She was powerful. She was strong. She, you know, she knew that this was her course. She said from a young age, she was like, she would say to my dad, I, I think I'm going to die young. Like was just very in tune and weird. Before her and diagnosis? Yes. When they were wow. young, like they didn't, they didn't even have kids yet. And she was like, wow. you know, Mark, like, yeah. And I mean, that's just weird. So she was always kind of very in, in the moment. She loved who was around her and she was a introvert, extrovert, like all in the same way. And I kind of, I spoke at her funeral when people ask and they don't know her, I say this one line that I said at the funeral. And I said, my mom didn't light up a whole room, but she lit up every single individual in that room. Aww. And I've, yeah, right. And I feel like that just kind of can like encapsulate that. Yeah, you can she get a good picture of her from that. Yeah. And she wasn't there for show. She was there to be there for you. And she saw who you were. And it doesn't matter if you were somebody she saw at the grocery store, like she would see you. And mm -hmm. I think that was just, she felt like her purpose was served here and she was ready. And as much as she wanted to be here with us and, you know, see what we could do she was comfortable with the fact that she wasn't going to be here anymore. And I think that transferred over to all of us. And, you know, I, 
that's horrible. She was my, my favorite person in the whole world, my best friend. And I was with her all two years, you know, through the journey. And mm-hmm. my, it started, she got sick when I was a senior in high school. And then, so that changed my plans for college, obviously not on her, but I wanted to be there. So I stayed home be for the first year to com- yeah. mm-hmm, community college, um, which was great. Loved it. You know, it was awesome being there. And, you know, she started deteriorating a little bit and, but I was deteriorating. I was like, mom, I need to go to away to school. And she was like, you go. So I went three hours away, you know, to Salisbury and we had, you know, a family home there. So she was able to come down. But once she started really deteriorating, I dropped a class. So I was able to be home four days and at school three. But that really worked for me because I got what I wanted from the school experience. But I was also able to be home. And that three-hour drive felt like nothing, you know, when the person you love is, is at home. So that was kind of that. She was just a strong, strong person through it all. I mean, we had our ups. We had our downs. I mean, it's cancer. It's the truth of the matter is it's ugly. But I can tell you one thing. She took it head on. She looked as beautiful the day she died as Mm -hmm. anything else. And yeah. And I mean, everybody will tell you that too, that they were like, they'd see her running and they're like, doesn't she have like terminal cancer? Oh my gosh. Wow. She really took it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, wow. she was running. Yeah, she was crocheting to the left. Took it and ran with it, literally. Yeah, literally. <laughs> yes, <laughs> literally, literally. She was a beautiful person. I mean, the pictures I've seen of her, she she is beautiful. And I've known this about her personality from the stories that you've told me before. But the way that you just described it, I've never heard about how she really touched every single person in the room and really saw you. And you explaining it is so much of who I think you are. You were at my wedding and a lot of people hadn't met you before, but had come to me after and was like, wow, I really got to talk to Meredith. She's awesome. Or really had comments to say about you that made me feel like they left that conversation feeling differently than they do in conversations with other people. And I imagine like, I feel like I'm starting to get to know a little bit of your mom through this conversation and feeling like, oh, I'm seeing that reflected in you. And that's probably who Angie was too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And trust me, that's like the biggest compliment ever when everybody's like, oh, you're like your mom. I'm like, oh, really? Like, you know, it's like, I still get so excited. And because that's who I, that's who I want to be. I mean, she, there's a, there's a lot of her that I'm not, but there's also like so much that I am her. And I think it's been really cool for me to kind of go through this process. And I think it's really hit me this year. We're coming up on four years. So yeah, I still have my day for it. Yeah, right. I can't even believe it. Like, I can't. And so it's, you know, days where very far few in between where I feel like I can't handle it, luckily. But I've grown to be myself with a part of her. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I would have had that opportunity if she was still here. And so like kind of what I, what I mean, yeah, go ahead. I say, no, I'm just nodding my head because I feel the same way. And it feels so awkward to say that out loud, but Mm -hmm having this grief really does allow you to grow into a person you never thought you could be. And I think that's Mm -hmm. where there's so much strength in the situation. Clearly we would have had it the other way. If we could, we wish that our parents were still here, but Mm -hmm. I always try to impart that in people. I'm like, listen, it's going to hurt like hell, but you are going to turn into a person you never thought you'd be capable of. And you're going to be so proud of yourself when you're on the other side. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, that's just kind of my biggest thing is I, it hurts. I'm not diminishing any bit of it. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's almost 
it's okay. It's because it's what happened to us. It's what happened to them. It's a part of their story. So it's a part of my story. And, you know, the experiences that I've gained from everybody in my life, I try to really incorporate that into who I am, because not only can you learn so much from others, but you can really just get a sense for how they interpret the world. And I think that's so interesting. And I think that's something we don't understand is that every person interprets things differently. And to kind of see the lens through somebody else's eyes is so interesting and cool because you can gain a different perspective. Oh, I didn't, I didn't think to see it that way. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's kind of, I think what you do, especially like with this podcast is opening people up to the idea that, Hey, first of all, you're not alone, but second of all, second off, we all have different perspectives and we can learn from each other. And that's like why, yeah, that's why the grief community is so great because of that. My head explodes after every single interview that I do, because exactly what you said, gaining somebody else's perspective on their loss and translating it into mine is like, holy shit, I didn't think of it to look at it that way. Or I didn't quite see that as growth, but I guess it is. Or I think one of the craziest lessons I've learned so far is hearing from people that really took their person's final moments and like being there for their death as like the most beautiful experience and it being almost this positive and just viewing it as this like transformative journey into the afterlife, where for me, it was the most horrific, darkest moment of my entire life. And it's Mm -hmm. really one of the parts of my grief that I choose not to touch. (laughs) And I Mm -hmm. keep it locked away. Like, you know, I talk about it all the time. Don't lock away, like confront it. That is the one part that I've really isolated off, like just being in that hospital room with him at the end. Mm -hmm. But through these conversations, I'm like, wait a second, maybe I should look at this completely differently. So it's true. I mean, being able to have the perspectives of so many other people that have gone through something similar to you can really just be so enlightening. There's so many ways to to look at grief. And that's why I'm so interested in talking with you because, you know, grief is a type of trauma that you go through in your life. And with the work that you're doing in your studies, you're encountering people that are going through traumas and just difficulties in your life. And I wonder how that impacts your grief. So tell us about your studies and your grad program and and what it is that you want to do. So it's actually pretty amazing. I thought the type of person that I am, I was a little concerned going in to being a therapy intern. So that's what I'm doing right now for my field studies is I am working under a supervisor, but I have my own set of clients, you know, ranging from, you know, anxiety, depression, trauma, that kind of stuff, all of that included. But I was a little worried going into it, like, oh my gosh, am I going to carry these people's yeah. issues? Because I'm so empathetic and I really feel you it, right? Are. You feel <laughs> yeah. so deeply for other I people. I could totally mm-hmm. see that. And that's good that you recognize that about yourself going into it, being aware of that. Right. But I actually surprised myself and I kind of am taking it the way you're saying from this podcast. I've taken it like they'll say ways that they handle their anxiety. And I'm like, like you know what I mean I <laughs> that's a good one my, I should like, try that yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay that's yeah, great I'm gonna use that for my next session no but they're they're just they're so in it too that they are so informative for me and like their perspectives I'm like oh okay like it really is it just it's stuff you never think about and like sometimes I catch myself like having to check back in and be like okay okay so but this is what we're gonna do you know and kind of like getting a plan from there but ever since I mean 
I guess I was a sophomore in high school. I mean, I've had anxiety and depression my whole life. I don't know why. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's just biological. At this it's point. chemical. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So my mom was the biggest supporter of me through everything. I mean, I left school in high school for my the first chunk of my sophomore year, did online school to really just focus on myself and mm-hmm. kind of like figure out what the heck was going on with me. And she was right by my side. So we got that figured out. It was back in the school, the same school, you know, the spring semester. I connected with my therapist that I still have now. I've had her for 10 years. I guess. Amazing. I know. Yeah, I when you find was, a good one, you hold on I'm to them. Real tight. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so I just was talking to her the other day and I go, I was like, I have to be your longest client. Like, and she was like, actually you're not. And I was like, okay. I was wow. like, she said she has one or two that are a little bit longer, but, but yeah. So kind of finding her and she was the one who was like, so what if she doesn't go back to public school? Like, what if she does? Like, what if she wants to do something different? If it's going to help her, and mm-hmm. that was like one of the first times my mom kind of had that breakthrough. Like, why not? Why can't mm-hmm. she do something different and not have to follow the framework of everything just because she shouldn't have to force herself to struggle every single day mm-hmm. if this is something that we can fix? And so, kind of in that moment, I was like, you know what? I want to give that to other people because just that simple phrase, "Why not?" changed my whole life like and it came you know and it came from her because why not set me on the path of getting my shit together and understanding what was happening to me and I genuinely haven't looked back since and that was yeah thank you and that foundation that my mom I feel like gave me giving me this therapist was what helped me get through her and losing her yeah right so in a, in a sense, she set me up to be okay, even when she wasn't here. Mm. And so I think that's so beautiful. And that's really where I was like, you know what, this is my, my sights are set. I, well, I do think there's such power in how you said that she basically set you up with this framework to be okay for when she was gone. And does that play into the strength that you have now and thinking like, okay, I just need to rely on these building blocks that mom gave me that mom would want me to use right now. Yeah, absolutely. So it's actually interesting you say that I was just talking to my therapist, not last week, but the week before. And I was I was just struggling. I was like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why I'm feeling like this. Because she always goes, what would your mom say? And I love mm-hmm. that because I love like, you know, oh, what would she say? So yeah. I think I'm running out of the framework. That's what was happening was she built this framework for me, but I'm past it. I can take what she's given me and make my own framework now. Yes. Like you said, the building blocks, they're there and I can't wait to build upon them, but it's my turn. Like I can do this now and I'm in charge of my own life. And yes, I was a kid when she, when she died. So she set me up for this amount of time. And it's kind of weird that it ran out, you know, like it felt like it ran out. I'm 23, you know, I'm happily living with my boyfriend. I have a dog. Like I'm in school. I work like I have all these good things for me, but she didn't set me up for that. She didn't set me up for what, what's it like to live with my boyfriend, with a dog, with all this stuff. So I have to take what she gave me and change it and move it to what I need to do. It does become so weird, especially with time as it goes on. It's like such a double-edged sword because with time certainly becomes comfort in your grief and you get used to certain things. You know how to handle certain things, but there does become this aspect of, 
I'm now living a life that they don't know about or that they weren't a part of, or that I don't have advice in my toolbox from them to apply to this certain situation. Like for you living with a boyfriend, like that's a huge milestone in your life. And to think that your mom is not there for it probably brings on a whole set of grief. Like you don't have, you know, just the, oh my gosh, like we were talking about like, okay, like my husband like runs through the room in the middle of the interview. And I like, I wanna be able to like go to my mom and be like, oh my God, like, this happened and, and she can oh, commiserate with me on that type of thing. And it's like not being able to go to your mom about like, oh, living with a boy is so crazy mm-hmm. is tough. And, and like, that's how I felt about having kids. It, it brings on a whole new wave of grief because you're realizing like how much your life is moving on and they're not a part of it. So it is definitely mm-hmm. strange. What do you find most rewarding about the, the work that you're doing now with the clients that you have? It's it's so rewarding. I would say the most rewarding thing is just when they, they, they just thank you. Like yeah. that yeah. I have put in so much work and to see them put in that work and to come in each week and say, oh, I did this and I did that. And to get them just to do things that they weren't doing before is my favorite thing. So mm-hmm. like, I think I like I like the smaller things better than I like the bigger things. And yes, I love the large milestones, but getting to see them feel comfortable going out in public, doing what they want, yeah. making decisions for themselves is you know one of the biggest things that's so rewarding for me. And just to get them back on kind of a path that's healthy, that it makes them want to get up and makes them want to live. And that's all I want for people is to see that Yes, things can bring you as low as it possibly can, but there's literally always one thing that mm-hmm. will either keep you here, keep you going, get you out of bed. Like there's always one thing. And so, yeah, I guess that's my biggest thing is those those little milestones is, is my favorite to see. That's been a running theme in the interviews that I've had lately is like the simplicity of Uh conquering your feelings or the depression or the anxiety. Somebody yesterday had said to me, she said she always goes to her door and she locks the door at night. And all of a sudden this one night, she thought, let me just go outside and just stand in the wilderness of the nighttime for a little bit. And Mm -hmm. just that connection with nature before she went to bed eased her mind and made her feel so much better. And, And it's like the simplest thing that you could do to literally just stand outside for a minute and how it helped you. And sometimes it's so hard to see that when you're in it because you're looking at how do I make all of this pain stop? How do I make all this craziness in my head go away? And that's such a daunting task. That's so, that's so big to conquer. How do I climb my Mount Everest? Well, I, you can't just yet, but maybe we start with like how you put your snowshoes on. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, exactly. And, and it's just so cool to see because of the excitement that they get too. And Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's, it's stuff they're not used to. And, and that's the thing it's, it's challenging us to do the little things to get us to Everest. And, you know, kind of what you're saying, it's, it's, it's a process. And I think we were talking too about misconceptions and, and just how, you know, if you, if you do the right things, if you get a therapist, if you have medicine, why am I not fixed it? You know, that's what, that's what society tells us. Get a therapist, get medicine. You'll be fine. No, there, right. it's, it's ongoing. Process. Mm-hmm. You have to take the time to put that work into yourself to make those around you understand, you know, what's going, what you're going through. And that's something I'm very passionate about too, is, is ending all this, this mental health stigma. I don't understand. I know I'll come into it and I'll say, would you tell, and I know I'm sure you've heard this. Would you tell my mom who has cancer to get over it? No. 
So why would you right. tell somebody who has severe depression, get over it? They can't. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I use that kind of analogy in terms of like taking medication, people that are very against antidepressants or, or being on some type of medication to help their depression and anxiety. I say, if this was a problem with your kidneys, if this was a problem with your lungs, you would take medicine for it if that's what the doctor recommended. So why is it different when it's your brain? Because it's what we've been told, I guess. Yeah, but. I know. You're right. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. You've heard me talk about how therapy has been an absolute life changer for me. Like I legit don't know where I'd be without it. So if you're on the hunt for a therapy partner, you need to check out BetterHelp. It offers virtual services, assesses your personalized needs, and matches you with a licensed professional therapist that you can start talking to within 48 hours. And it's even more affordable than traditional counseling. Speaking of affordability, they're allowing me to gift you with 10% off your first month because I love you and I want to see you get the help that you need. You absolutely owe it to yourself to seek the support of a licensed therapist. You probably already do your banking online, read your news online, and do so many other things online. So go ahead and take care of that aching heart. Again, code SSFYL can get you 10% off your first month. They really make it so simple. So go check it out. BetterHelp.com SSFYL. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash SSFYL. Thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. I wonder how the pendulum swings for you if there's a positive or a negative or a little bit of both in terms of do you ever feel imposter syndrome when you're working with your clients or does it build you up to say wow i actually am further in my grief or feeling better in my grief than i thought i was through the conversations i'm able to have with my clients so it builds me up because weirdly enough i really dis like i've tried to disconnect not in a bad way but where i'm totally entrenched into what they're going through mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so a lot of the times, most of my clients don't have too bad of grief at this point to where it's like, you know, where it really kind of sinks into me. And I feel like I'm kind of far away from it at this point. But I would say that it it's empowering. It's definitely more on the empowering side than it would be to kind of, I don't know. That's that's a good question. I got to think about that one. Just because it really is, it's weird to think about yourself in that moment because yeah. I am so entrenched because I'm also trying to think, what can I do for them? Right. So well, I you think become such more, a professional. Yeah. You put your hat on yeah. of, I am not Meredith, a person who is grieving. I am Meredith, a clinical psychologist who is helping this client yeah. that is in front of me. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of how, how I think of it. And I'm sure once that, you know, I mean, I have a small caseload now, but I'm sure once that goes up, you know, it's kind of hard to fully separate and, and all of that. But there is, you know, we are, we're taught about it and, you know, self-care is like actually a big part of our, of our learning and like our education now, which I think is so important because, you know, frontline work, like healthcare workers, it's, it's a tough, tough profession. You have to put yourself first at the end of the day. And so we kind of learn about, you know, secondary PTSD symptoms and kind of what to look out for because yeah. we, you know, those trauma-informed therapy sessions are tough. You're living it with them. You're, you're hearing what they went through. You're hearing the cracks in their voice. You're hearing the pain that they went through. And if you're a human, you can't sit there and not, and not feel their right. pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so we kind of, 
are taught what to look for in our own selves if things are getting getting too tough and you know how we can either handle that and we can always you know bring in someone else and kind of like work with them and but just really I appreciate the education being stressed on us as well because that's kind of my long-term career goal is I want to own my own practice and I, I want my therapist to be contractors because they can make their own schedule but I think it's so important for the therapist to feel just as welcome, secure, and loved as our clients, because mm-hmm. you can't create that welcoming environment for your clients if your therapists are run to, yeah. to the ground. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And this education aspect is interesting too. That's something that you and I have kind of connected on because I'll put something out on my social media and you're so cute and message. You're like, yes, thank you for putting this yeah. out there in the public because it's such a misconception that this is the way that it is or whatever. So do you have some things that you wanna share with our audience now that are maybe like some of your top misconceptions of psychology or the way that the brain works or things that we're doing with grieving that you want to make sure that they understand? Yeah, I would say that I think depression, anxiety, OCD, trauma, all of these large terms, I feel like people will say I have depression and they're like, I do too, you know, and like this, 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 and that, but we aren't depressed the same. We don't have anxiety the same, that there's so many different ways. And I kind of broke it down and I said, we do treatment plans and in our treatment plans, our first step is you define depression in your words, you define mm. anxiety in your words, because I'm not going to know how to treat you if I'm treating you like depression from patient A, you know? Yeah. And so I think that's one of the big things too, is I don't want people to get discouraged in their treatment if it's not going the way they think, because they're in also that's see, that's another thing is when you go into sessions, I feel like people think the therapist is in control. And yes, we are, we're supposed to, you know, guide you and this and that. But if you're feeling like you want to guide that session, this is your time. Yeah. You tell me, make it work you for want. you. Yes, yes. I if my framework doesn't work for you, make your own, we can do it together. And that's kind of the thing is I want people to understand that therapy can be collaborative, that it's a, a we understand that some things aren't going to work for you. And so kind of just being able to define that in your own words and to understand too, that I think that it's okay. I think that's one of my biggest things is, and it, everybody like jokes because it reminds me in my head of what was his name from the bachelor who like got so much flack. Oh, Juan Pablo. Juan Pablo. They, said, <laughs> yeah, they were like, you oh, know, it's, it's okay. okay. It's okay. It's okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? But I say it's okay and then follow it up. But but no, to just be okay in that moment that that it's a part of you. It's not something that you need to throw out. You just need to embrace it, understand it, and control it. And that's just, you know, that's the name of the game. So I'd say, yeah, that's probably one of my biggest misconceptions is definitely the the I guess expectation of what for the involvement that you can have in your own therapy plan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're, I tell them you're, if you want me to run it, I even say this, like, if you want me to run it, okay. Like I have no problem. I know how to do that. But if you want to drive this session, go ahead. It's your time. It's, you know, everything. And so, yeah, I'd say that's definitely it, but also I would really highly suggest too is the education portion behind what your diagnosis is. So like they have such great Ted talks too. And that's something I utilize Mm. is, you know, PTSD is very complex. 
it has so many different aspects to it. And it's also like all terms, they're overused. So people don't I was understand. just going to say, everything's become a buzzword too. Mm-hmm. Everything's PTSD. Yeah. Everything's OCD. Everything's anxiety. And it, it, I think it, it, it diminishes the actual impact for the people that are actually clinically suffering from these things when someone says, oh, I have anxiety that I'm not going to get to the cleaners in time to pick up my laundry. Like, n- no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, exactly. Like, yeah, she could be stressed about it and, uh-huh. you know, and this and that, but it's like using that term and, and it's just very difficult, I think, too, for the people who are suffering to hear it. And I'm not a big person who's like, we have to worry about what we say, you know, and I'm really not. But I just want people to understand the weight that those words hold, yes. you know, and that like clinically depressed, it's like you don't see a way out. There's nothing funny. There's nothing that, oh, I'm so depressed today. Like, you know, it's like, no, you mm-hmm. can't, you can't do that. They're clinical terms that, you know, you, we really can't be thrown around <laughs> willy nilly. But yeah, so I think just the psychoeducation behind it. And I think that's really important for grief. I'd say out of most things, PTSD, absolutely. But grief is one of those things that people see as, okay, two years, I'm done. You know, yeah. like I'll yeah. give, I'll give myself two years. And if I'm not over it now, then it's never going to be over. But it's not, it's not, yeah. you grieve, you grieve the rest of your life. And like you mentioned, you grieve when you have a baby because you're grieving the miss, like the parent that would be there, that would be giving you the love, the advice and, and everything. You don't have that. So you grieve at each individual part of your life. And Hey, some might be easier than others, but some you might need a little help. Is there another term for it? Because Am I grieving? Yes. But am I grieving the same way that I was grieving the first six months after my dad died? Absolutely not. So it's almost like I wish there were different terms about the phases of where you are. I think sometimes I call it acute grief. Like there are days where I'm having acute grief symptoms where I'm really feeling it. It's making it very difficult for me to function like I would normally in daily life. But then there are other days where like, of course, like you said, it doesn't ever end. I'm never not going to be grieving, but it may not affect me that way? Is there other terminology that we can use in terms of grief like that? Right. So I'm actually not aware of any, I'm sure, I'm sure there could be, but I'm not aware of any, but there's actually a pretty cool thing. And the reason I messaged you was the stages of grief and the misconception behind that on who, who it was for. But I actually utilize our client, my client's own stages of grief. So I actually have them write their own. And I think that could be Mm. something, you know, that you could utilize too, is kind of sitting down and looking at, you know, oh, the six months was awful. So this was my, you label it. What grief was that for you? Right. And then you can kind of, okay, then the next one, oh, then with my wedding, that kind of hit me hard. So what grief was that for you? You know, you could say this was wedding grief. This was this grief. So I kind of give it up to you to kind of verbalize what you think it is because it's you, it's personal. That's a great suggestion, and also, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm, to kind of just write it out because you could have a hundred stages of grief, you know, you really could. Yeah. What are some psychological processes that you've learned along the way from your studies that you've really been able to apply to your own grief or that you suggest to others to apply to theirs to help them move through this ridiculous world that we're all a part of now? Uh, yeah. Oh my goodness. So I would say a lot of my um, users, like a lot of biofeedback 
techniques. So a lot of grounding techniques to where the five senses, you know, you have five things you see, like four things you can hear and like break down because biologically it slows everything down. It distracts. Mm -hmm. And another huge thing for me is sleeping. So that's a big problem. And those ruminating thoughts. I love sleep right? and I hate when it's disturbed yeah. and it's the exactly. worst when you're just laying there at night, the insomnia and your brain is going like crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the biggest things I suggest for that is the progressive muscle relaxation. So, you know, you either can start in your hands and your feet and you clench them real tight. And all you think about is everything you're thinking about in your hands or in your feet or some part of your body and squeezing it all and just putting it all in there going to your forearms and it's really weird to squeeze your forearm yeah i'm like hmm. like you're like okay you're yeah like this yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe not i'm like it's <laughs> gonna be like what are you doing over there <laughs> like are you working out um no <laughs> but no so like just kind of working through that and really i think it's so hard for us because it's all in our heads and it's like boo -boo -boo, like pinball in there yeah. but if we can put them in a physical space and like you mentioned your box that's a big thing for me is you know pandora's box when you're ready to open it if ever you have the key and only you do mm -hmm. and you know so being able to visualize your thoughts and where they are and being in control of them is something i'm very passionate about and honestly i do the progressive relaxation and i like fall asleep before i like hit like up here because i'm really like, okay like yeah, like I do it, like I'll start my feet and I'm like, Ooh, and then you do it for like 10 seconds and you squeeze and then you move up and you focus in your thighs and like you just, it's really, it's actually, cool. it's really good because it also relaxes you. Yeah. Yeah. But it also, the visualization is great. And the other huge thing is normalizing it. Okay. I'm feeling this. Don't fight it. Even an hour, if you need an hour to be, I am going to cry and be super upset for this whole hour. Then I'm going to go do something. And yeah. just to give yourself that, because if you fight all day, that's eight hours of you fighting, crying. Mm -hmm. So just that, that hour, cry, be upset, and slowly, if you can, work back into your day and do something that makes you happy or feel bright and, and just kind of being okay with it. Because I think that's a big problem is just the rubbing together of your emotions and what you have to do. And it just, it just doesn't yes. feel right. It, it feels yes. uncomfortable. You're reminding yeah. me with what you're saying of like the things that they say about eating and like if you're trying to eat healthy and how much you can actually almost be impeding your own success with it. If you say, okay, you're really craving a cookie and you really want a cookie, but you don't want to eat the cookie because you don't think it's good for you. So then you go and you eat an apple, but that doesn't satisfy the taste that you wanted. So then you go and have some crackers, but that doesn't satisfy the taste of the cookie that you wanted. So then you go and have some whatever else is in the fridge. When at the end of the day, you end up eating way more than you would have had you just had the that damn cookie from the from the start. So mm -hmm. it's kind of the same thing where like you are pushing it down because you don't want to cry. You are pushing it down and even further and you're doing this and you're doing that. Now you're feeling way worse than you would have if you just took that hour to cry and get it out and how therapeutic it actually is. I think there's a lot of times where you feel like if I do cry, I'm going to make myself feel worse because I'm going to allow mm -hmm. myself to go into it. But really, it is the release of it that is so powerful and therapeutic and helps you get to a better place that day. It is because that's another thing. Listen to yourself. You mm -hmm. clearly are not OK. And, you know, there's even days where I'm like, I don't know if I could cry, but like I kind of feel like I have to. And I mean, I'll play, you know, Supermarket Flowers by Ed Sheeran. Good 
God, that song. <laughs> I mean, I was at work one day and it came on and I was like, are you kidding me? Like we got, I was like, of course I listened to it. Cause I'm like, all right, mom, like I'll listen to it. But I'm like, we got to change that next time. Yeah. But like, you know, but to, because it's, I need it clearly. If I'm feeling like I need to, you know, right. I need to sell it. And because sometimes that's all I need. It's just to cry because I'm upset. Like mm -hmm. GD, I'm upset, Like uh -huh. you know, and kind of just being like, all right, this is what it is. And, and, you know, too, I mean, I was, it's crazy. Cause we were talking about, you know, the people I've lost and, and I wrote them down and I haven't done that. And I was mm. looking at it and I was like, what the heck has been going on? And so I kind of like, just even to go down this, like I lost my mom, then I lost my grandmother a year later, I lost my grandfather a year after that. Then my boyfriend tragically lost his dad last yeah, that year. Was awful. And what the hell is going on? But it's like, Hey, I'm still here. Mm -hmm. We're still here. And that's, we talk about this all the time. We're here together. We look at everything that we still have and we are so blessed. Like yeah. I can't tell you how many yeah. times because of like the love I feel from, from CJ and you know, my dog, like, and my family, <laughs> but like, and it's just, there's always something to be grateful for and to be blessed with. And 100%. It's, it's just 100%. such a, and it's such a beautiful thing. And, and Hey, it's really hard to see that way sometimes. And I, you know, if you're low, it's very, very hard. But I think when you're in a place that you feel comfortable enough to feel grateful, I think that is one of the best practices you can do. Like, so when I'm feeling good, I either before bed or when I wake up, I try to say like three things I'm grateful for because mm. it's easy you know, it is. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh my God, like how easy was that? I can name I you three things. How lucky am I? You know, See that simplicity again and how it just mm -hmm. like the mind shift then of the whole day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good. Yeah. I, I, this has been really helpful conversation. I, I feel like it's very helpful to hear from somebody who not only is studying this, but who has gone through it themselves to say, yes, this thing works not just in the books, but it works in practice too. And how simple it can be to really make strides in your grief and past your yeah. trauma and through everything that you you've gone through. So thank you so much for sharing all of that. If you had the opportunity to be the personal therapist, of three celebrities alive or dead who would you choose okay so my first one's weird but i just love him and i think it'd be really cool mark twain oh <laughs> I, okay i i love mark twain he some of his best writing was at the end of his life and he was he was so dark and twisted but like understood how he was feeling and so like i don't i mean like yeah he's like adventures of huck finn and tom sawyer they're great but his later writings, oh my gosh, like that was one of my, I, that helped me through grief, which was weird. Oh, wow. I've never dark. checked that out. I'll have to look at some of the pieces. Send me some of your favorites in like the darker time of his life. Yeah. I would love to see that. I imagine that therapy session of you just sitting there like, oh, what do you got for me today? You know, yeah. tell, me, like, tell me about what's going on. Yeah. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And it, he would so just like speak in prose basically and yeah, like, be so creative okay. in the way that he explained his feelings or his thoughts or whatever. Do you ever feel that in your therapy session? Sometimes I feel like the way that I'm speaking, I'm like, who, who is this talking right now? I didn't even know I felt this way, but the way that it starts to unravel in a therapy session is so interesting. It is. It really is. It's like, so sometimes I'll say to my therapist, I'm like, Oh, okay. Like, and she's like, well, you did this today. And I'm like, all right, I'll talk to you next week. Like, yeah. you know, you really, <laughs> you have it within you. You really do. And so something other also that's really cool about him that I think is cool with my mom is Mark Twain came in with Haley's comet and he said, 
I came in with Haley's Comet and I'm going to leave with Haley's Comet. And Unaccountable Freaks, they come in together and they must go out together. And he died the same year, the next year, Haley's Comet was the closest. Wow. And I thought that that was so crazy because it's so cyclical. And my mom was born on a new moon and she died on a new moon and it signals rebirth. I just felt like they had that weird connection where they understood so much. I would love to hear what Mark Twain had to say about, about what he went through. My second one was Billy Lord, who, so she lost her mom and grandma within like a couple days. So that was Debbie Reynolds and Carrie Fisher. I thought that would be so interesting to understand her perspective when she was grieving and then having the whole world grieve too. Mm -hmm. I want to know what like, hey, that's my mom. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that thing when she sees people who didn't even really know her, her mom and grandma, they're like grieving so hard because they've been touched by her. And I mean, Princess Leia, a huge character who was so influential and powerful for so many women. And I just want to know how having to go through that in the public and in like two days. Of mm-hmm. looking yeah, that was to- wild. That was like yes. broken heart syndrome to a yes. T. Yes. Yeah. So sure, I think it would be really cool, especially because she's really, from what I mean, I've seen and heard, like, you know, what I've read and everything, she seemed to really go through it, like, really gracefully. And I was talking to my sister, and she was saying that she even has a baby now and, you know, is trying to make this this path her own. And I think that's that's really cool. So I'd like to know kind of what even she did. I think for celebrity children, it can always be really difficult. I remember seeing something with, gosh, I forget who it was. Oh, the guy from 90210 that had the stroke. I I cannot remember his name, but his daughter basically was like crucified on social media because she did her post about losing her dad and how she missed him and loved him and, and all the things that she appropriately would, you would think you would see from any child. But then had another post a few weeks after of her smiling and like having a good time and at a concert or something. And like people went after her to be like, wow, your dad just died and you're like out having fun. I mean, horrible stuff. Right? I know. Like, could you mind your own business? Yeah. Like, like it's so sad. Like, they're just trying to, you know, live in the moment and, and deal with grief in their own way. And it's just so hard in the spotlight. I, I you know, yeah. I just couldn't. And like I you couldn't. said earlier, anxiety and depression and grief is different for everyone. So who's to say what's right and what's wrong if that's what you needed to do? Because, of course, like, you need to go out and have fun sometimes just to blow off some steam. And who's to say that she wasn't hysterical right before and right after that picture? Exactly. Exactly. And who knows, too, people people like to use Instagram and social media as a way to cope in a weird way, because I think sometimes yeah. I like when people are very honest and open, but some people can't be and they're not comfortable being open. So if they feel like they can show people they're doing OK, it kind of helps them mm-hmm. in a way that, OK, then I can be that person and I can work up to being that person that I'm posting here. And, you know, it's kind of it's a weird it's a weird line, I think, of social media of either being your true self or, you know, putting other stuff up. It's, it's misleading, but if it helps the person, you know, yeah. <laughs> As long as it helps. Yeah, so I'd say Billy Lord. And then another one, tap back into my, my younger self, is Louie from One Direction. He oh, he lost it. Right? Yeah, right? okay. He, he lost his mom to cancer like a few hours before he had to perform. And wow. And it, it was a song like he had written about her. Oh, my God. And yeah, and, like, and he performed it. And I was I remember I was like, how do you do that? And so like he's also like I just always 
think that they were so like quiet and I know they had their own like issues and like this and that and also now he's kind of out of the spotlight and uh-huh. it, was pretty, it was pretty soon after losing his mom and you don't really hear much from him anymore so it's kind of interesting I wonder what he's going through and kind of what that intense experience was like for him to perform on that stage after losing somebody so important to him and mm-hmm. because for me yeah I spoke at my mom's funeral I guess a week later but I still can tell you it was a whole out-of-body experience oh so, yeah yeah so I can't imagine you know how that was for him and just right getting up in front of thousands of people and singing this song yeah wow that means so much to you mm-hmm. yeah so that's those are my weird uh three across the map uh people I'd I like love it to. I yeah. love it yeah. anything yeah. else you want to add before we close out no I think that hey life is shitty sometimes but we're all here together and and every day can be beautiful if you can find something to look at so I love I that how wonderful mm-hmm. so great well I really appreciate you taking the time to be here I think this was very helpful and I'm so proud of you. I really Uh, am. I'm so proud of how far you've come and the work that you're doing to help other people is just amazing. And I love seeing your passion. I love seeing you just absolutely light up when you talk about it. And it's great. I can't wait to see what you do from here. So best of luck to you. And thanks for being here on So Sorry for Your Loss. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for everything you do. I see how much you've touched everybody. And all I can hope for you is that you continue to do that. And it keeps growing because trust me, this you're making a big difference. So thank you. Thank you. All right. Love you. Love you too. Thanks for listening. Head over to Instagram to follow more at So Sorry with Gianna. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave that five-star review. I would love you for it. More to come on this season of So Sorry for Your Loss. So stay tuned.